1: up everybody and welcome to episode 218 of the talking chop podcast i am your host brad Rowland, and joining me as often and a voice you've heard as much as mine or more in the last week and a half on this podcast network eric cole is here hello sir
2: hey bradley how are you doing
1: i'm all right we're, we're hanging in there and uh people probably read the description of this podcast and know what we're going to talk about it's going to be uh, a little bit on the negotiations and the standstill that we're under uh, baseball-wise, and then also the second half or so of the podcast will be uh, mostly Eric's thoughts because everyone knows that my MLB draft knowledge is not top-notch. Uh, but the draft is this week, so we'll, t- we'll touch on that later on in the podcast. Before we get into that stuff, um, we'll say we will be talking about baseball. I promise. But uh, first and foremost, I would say um, in the last you know two weeks or so, we've not done a ton on this because of when our podcasts were. You know arriving essentially but there's been you know protests across the country in the wake of the uh, of the death of george floyd and others and uh, lots of talk and lots of uh, in, in my mind anyway i'll only speak for me uh, some moving displays of uh, you know protests and fighting fighting racism frankly and fighting police brutality and bigotry of all kinds and systematic racism and i i really have been moved by that i think it's uh, really really good that that's happening and uh, I stand alongside those people. Um, the Braves put out a, a statement on Tuesday. I know they waited a little bit longer than some people wanted them to wait, which I do understand. Um, but they, uh, I thought that was pretty good what they put out um, as well as a ton of player statements that happened uh, both before and after that from guys on the current team like Ronald Acuna and Mike Soroka and Ozzie Albies to even retired players like Dale Murphy's been good on this and Brian Jordan, etc. So I just want to make sure we touched on that. Um, again, obviously, I think this should not be controversial, but for some reason it is in some circles that you know racism is very bad and especially systematic racism and police brutality is this is all stuff that needs to change and i'm glad it's uh basically the light's been shining on that so that's that's all i wanted to lead with and uh if you want to touch on that that's fine and if not we'll go we'll go from there
2: yeah i just wanted to say that i hope that all of our listeners and all of your families are safe and that we yep. are all focusing on the most important thing i think which is That systemic racism is a very real problem, and we can all, you know, reasonable people can disagree about, you know, like some of the property destruction that has happened, but I think that the vast majority of what we're seeing is a society that is tired of seeing systemic racism take a very real, quantifiable toll on minority populations. of And it's not just African Americans. There's a lot of minorities that are subjected to systemic racism and systemic discrimination. And I'm glad that it seems like the vast majority of the sports world. And I think the vast majority of the population understands that this is something that needs to stop. And I am hopeful that this is brings about real change and isn't just lip service. Uh, and ultimately I hope it's something that we can all rally around and agree upon that as human beings, we probably should treat each other like human beings.
1: That's that's well said, and I know we're we are uh, we are we are two white guys talking about this, uh, and I know my place of privilege in that way. Yeah, but I wanted to make same. sure we talked about it, um, and uh, we I, I think uh, Demetrius wrote a little bit about what the brave statement was, um, and Demetrius obviously has a has a, a point of view that I value greatly uh, in normal times, but especially right now. So uh, read that piece that is well. really good. Yeah. Yep uh, check that out. And, uh, there we go on that. I just, I just, I wanted to make sure that again, that's the most important thing that's happened this week, uh, even with baseball in, uh, in the news and not great ways. Um, that is baseball stuff doesn't matter compared to that. I know we talk about baseball on this podcast and that's what we're here to do and what we're going to do, but, I'd, uh, want to get the important stuff there at the top. All right, Eric. Um, let, let us transition to what is, I can only be described as a standstill between, Ownership and the players when it comes to baseball actually happening in 2020. Um, there's a lot here. Uh, I'll sort of touch on what we, we get. Sort of, we touch on like the, the different variables right now, because there's not been a whole lot of like real news the last few days on this front, which is kind of harrowing, I would say. And uh, if it's up to us and our track, record, our track record on this, there'll probably be an agreement two hours after this podcast. Um, yeah, late, late tonight. Just go ahead and book it. I would appreciate that if it happened, to be honest with you. But the last time I said that on the pod with Scott, um, we kind of joked about there being an agreement. And instead of an agreement, there there was news. There was a new proposal that was right after our podcast, which which made me laugh. But still, the sides are pretty far apart. And uh, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic wrote um, over the weekend that July 4th was was the target day that everybody wanted to kind of roll things out at. That kind of is almost out the window. At this point in time, according to his reporting and just con- common sense, honestly, with the calendar and how long it would take, you know, baseball players can't just roll out of bed and go play baseball. They got to ramp up. They got to gotta be spring training. And that seems like a kind of a, non, a non-event a non at this point in time. Um, and if they delay to August or so, time becomes a factor because you, you can't just keep playing baseball forever and ever, at least they don't want to into the winter. So there is urgency on that front. And uh, the latest, before we dive into some of these specifics here, the latest from Jeff Passon of ESPN is that he is assuming, and I guess citing sources across the league, they're assuming basically two things here. One side, the ownership side, is willing to do the full pro the full prorated salaries for 48 games, which is such a small number, but that's what they're willing to do for sure. And then the players are willing to do 82 games at their full prorated salaries for sure. And uh, that 34 game gap seems to be the difference right now. And uh, a lot of that, you know, could come down to arguments that are ongoing about what their contract or their agreement is right now that they signed back in March, we'll discuss in the podcast. But in the end, it seems like the two sides are kind of dug in. And as we've done it repeatedly on this podcast and you have, I have, and Scott has the relationship between the two sides is just brutal. And that is making things really hard right now.
2: Yeah. I mean the, the, the combination of just a bad relationship combined with like a fundamental disagreement over what was agreed to, to begin with yeah. back in March that, like The players seem to think that they were guaranteed a certain amount of money even if there were no games to be played. And now the owners are trying to position themselves as saying that, well, even if they're playing games, the owners are losing money for each game played. And as a result, they don't need to honor that original number. Whether or not that that understanding was met between those two sides is a very much an open question. What bothers me is that this, the optics of this are so bad that – Look, I think that some sort of baseball is going to happen ultimately. I think that the eventually both sides are gonna realize just how petty they both seem in this regard. Uh I will always kind of be on the player side in terms of, you know, you know salary disputes with ownership, you know, with these like billionaire corporations that own these comp that own these teams and you know, that they that they reap the vast majority of the the financial benefits, but as soon as there's a certain amount of financial risk involved, they're just trying to pass it off to the players as much as possible, it seems. Uh, But at the same time, like the the, the optics of what the players are saying, that, you know, these are millionaires that, you know, quote unquote, play a game for a living. And, you know, I hear all of that. I think what happens is that they will agree to something. But this can't drag on for very long because what seems to be the case to me. Is that this is a preview to a work stoppage? It's just going to be, it's just around the corner. Because if they don't can't agree on one season with extraordinary circumstances surrounding it, I can't imagine a world where they're going to agree upon a financial number and a lot of other things when the CBA expires. That was something that will govern the finances of baseball for a long period of time. And if we have a situation where, like, whether or not it costs us the 2020 season or the number of games is substantially lessened, because because they couldn't come to an agreement. I mean, we're already kind of up against it with no agreement at the end of the first week of June, which is kind of what I thought had to happen for you know a July start to even be feasible, or like a July early July start, I should say. Yeah. But if if the more games it costs baseball this season, the more likely that. Not only is the CBA negotiations going to be more contentious, but that the impact of a work stoppage in that during that CBA those CBA negotiations has on the health of a game of the game overall, like going forward, this will it set baseball back more than the last strike did, and I have no question about that in my mind because if people, if both sides are being super petty about finances during a pandemic. It doesn't really matter who's to blame, because ultimately people are going to remember that and it will color people's perceptions, regardless of what side you're on during the upcoming CBA negotiations, which are arguably going to be more contentious.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, if people don't don't, don't realize this, the new the CBA expires after the 2021 season, um, which does not seem that far away. It's not that far away, frankly, because um, especially if they didn't, you know, if they end up canceling this season, which is definitely possible. I'm not saying it's likely, but it's possible. Then you have one more year, maybe, of baseball, and then you get into a CBA that could expire. And there's always, I mean, for well before coronavirus, there was buzz in the league that you could see a lockout in 2021. Um, That would not blow anybody away even before the coronavirus and all the fallout from that. So this is already kind of sour, and it it, it seems like it's getting worse by the day. And, you know, obviously this could change in a hurry, and that's something I keep saying. We've been saying for the last couple weeks, you know, I'm I'm somewhat joking, but if they came to an agreement tomorrow, I wouldn't like fall on the floor and you know be surprised by it. It's just that it seems like they're pretty much dug in here. And I wanted to point out one of the things that Passan um, over at ESPN wrote. It makes it seem even kind of sillier. And there's a lot of numbers here, but just bear with me for a second. Essentially, what just to talk about what you said before, the owners are claiming that they're going to lose money every game that they play. Um, they're essentially saying that. There that that every game the this is the owners every game will generate about nine hundred eighty thousand dollars in local TV revenue. That's an average figure. Obviously, it's going to vary based on the market. That's the average Major League Baseball figure, um, which would be over one sixty two, which isn't going to happen, obviously. But over, in a normal in a normal season, about two point three eight billion with a B dollars in local TV revenue for a full season. Um, that amounts to one point two billion over eighty two games. And 705 million over 48 games. Now the players are rightly, in my opinion, anyway, saying that, that that does not include other factors. Which this is the biggest, this is the biggest thing that baseball has in their labor issue right now is that one side, and the owners, is not open in terms of their books, and the players want to see their books, and they're not opening up their books. But with all that said, the owners are saying that they're going to lose a combined you know, or, or an average $640,000 for every game that is played this season. Now, I'm not saying I believe that, but that's what they're saying. Now, the players want to see that. They haven't they haven't received the documentation for that, but the simple math is what it comes down to. Uh, according to Passon, at a 48-game season, baseball is claiming that they're going to lose about $460 million. That's a lot of money. Beyond that, the Passon report is essentially saying now, the gap between where the two sides are with one at 48 games and one at one at 82 games, the gap between those two is about $326 million. Now that's a ton of money. I get that. But when you divide that by 30, that's the whole, that's the whole league divided by 30. And the gap right now, at least according to what pass put together and what his sources said is about two is about $10.88 million per team. Again, $10 million is more money than you and I have. But for a major league baseball owner, $10 million is not a lot of money. So if they were to let this thing go and not do it based on, and again, this is, we're oversimplifying, but this is what ESPN reported. So I'm going to pass it along. If that's the gap. It just seems even more insane that they're not going to do this because I know they're already losing more than that. They claim, but if you, again, I don't assume that the owners are telling the truth. But even if you did assume that they're telling the truth 10 million dollars per team is the gap here like that doesn't make any sense no and
2: i i think that a certain a lot of this is a certain amount of positioning and and just you oh, know public oh, negotiation <laughs> yeah yeah this. well you know but you know what i'm saying like i yeah. i feel like that they won't there is a tipping point where at some point they just have to make a decision because if the difference between having baseball versus not having baseball is forcing each team to sign Nick Bartakis to the old rake that he was signed to. <laughs> that is what it is. Basically. That, that, that is what it is that I don't understand what we're talking about, but I, everyone's taking losses right now. And I think that one thing that players aren't, are, are not portraying enough is that it isn't as though they haven't, al- it's not like they're saying they want their, all their contracts fully guaranteed for the 2020 season. There is already an agreement for pro, like a prorated amount of money and that they all agree that it's not like that they're wanting this. That they, Everyone's already taking cuts. Ownerships have obviously lost money because games have not been played. Players have lost money because p- games have not been played. And that it money is is gone. Not a, That yeah. money is gone. What is happening now is that there's a, a lack of good messaging from players that they understand, and that there is some there is some wiggle room as long as there's a certain amount of transparency. And ownership has not been transparent, and they're not being honest by the fact that there's other revenue streams, whether it be other advertising avenues uh, in an entirely empty stadium. Maybe you have the ability to put up more advertisements, which would be another source source of revenue. Would they be sharing that? And then there's obviously all this, you know, a lot of these more modern parks are basically real estate developments, and are, are those revenues being? Included. <laughs> there's you know I mean? one like, right. There's one right here. There's, there's one right it. there. One right there in Cobb County, and I guarantee you, they're not going to want to include those revenues because as soon as baseball games are going to be played, they might not let people into Truist Park. But I bet you that they're going to have plenty of people in the battery that are hanging out at those bars. And oh, I there got already it. are.
1: I mean, there's people, there's well, people my, there right no, now. No, no,
2: just 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 amongst baseball fans, yeah, right? And they're, now, they're going to say that that's not baseball revenue, even though every like 70% of the people are going to be in full Braves gear watching the Braves games. And that's where the problem and lack of trust comes from. It's just that those types of revenue streams are not going to be shared with the players. Be, and th- Which is where they're getting their figure from, and it's ultimately going to be more fruitful for the owners than they're, pl- than they're playing up, which is why the players aren't agreeing to the numbers that they're saying. And if the league really wants to play hardball and say, fine, we're only going to have like a 50-game season, and this is what we're willing to pay you, a lot of players are just not going to do that. They're just yeah. going to sit. And you know what? Can can they legally strike? No. But it gets a little bit dicey when you're talking about you know, COVID-19 and whether or not they have a certain amount of rights that have been guaranteed to them under other, uh, other pieces of legislation, whether so they can be forced to work under unsafe conditions, which means they could make those health and safety protocol negotiations far more contentious. If this is the hill that the MLB wants to die on, I, I don't – I do not believe that the – I think the owners will – it's very possible that they're going to lose money on each game played. I do not believe the figure that they put out there is the short version of the story.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't either. I mean, that's that kind of goes without saying. Honestly, I think if any if you read people that are following this closely, even people that are trying to toe the line, like the national reporters um, who I, who we trust, like Rosenthal and Passin, um, they have ownership sources, so that, they're not just going to torch the owners incredibly. But you, you can you can tell. I think I think everyone. The one thing that no one believes is that the owners are telling the whole truth, nothing but the truth here. No one believes that, um, but we'll see. What, where they land. I mean, this could get ugly like you referenced. There's there's plenty of legal ways this could play out. Um, the 48-game season thing, you know, there's a whole baseball discussion on, like, w- whether 48 games makes any sense in terms of, like, validating baseball results. And we can have that discussion if that actually happens. I'm, I want to save it for now. I don't want to have the whole argument about um, the weirdness of a 48-game season unless we have to. But uh, if that happens, we'll talk about the fallout of just how weird having a season that's one-third the length that it normally is. Um, and there's people talking about player records and batting average and all this stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. But for now, I just, I don't know. This may not work. I'm not saying it's not going to happen because, you know, I think given the reality of what we're saying and what's been reported about how close, at least in, in theory, this might actually be, Maybe they get it done and it just happens in a hurry one day because both sides realize that it's better not to kill things. But, you know, the damage, the point you made earlier is really my big point as well that I want to make sure we get across. And I'm glad you said it is that it goes beyond this year. Like if they cancel this season, it's it's not good for us. Like we like baseball and, you know, what are we going to cover all season long? It's not good for the players that lose money and all that stuff. But. I am firmly of the belief as well that if if they let this go down and they don't have the season for money purposes, um, that's a giant black mark on the on on the sport and the fact that yep, it's just not going to go well. I mean, the PR is already terrible right now. The PR is already bad. If they cancel the season like right as other sports are coming back, and you know I don't want to compare it and all that stuff, but with the way there's so much reporting out there now that everyone is going to know, every fan is going to know that, no, it was not the coronavirus that canceled the season. It was money. This is not a health stoppage. If they just came out like in April and said, all right, guys, we're going to cancel the season because of COVID-19. No, I mean, they would have gotten, I'm sure some people would have gotten upset, but you know, th- that's an easier PR sell by a lot than canceling the season. Now, when everyone you know, not that everyone's agreed on the on the health stuff, but I think everyone that reports on this has talked about the fact that it, it's going to come down to money, and that's the thing. So it, if that's the reason why they don't play, it's going to have long range impacts. And I, and I know I was young in '94 when they when, when the strike happened, and it took them a while to bounce back. Um, it could be, it could be, and I think probably would be worse for the sport this time around, like you said, and um, that's the overarching thing. Because I mean, I, there's a lot of focus, that I think from from myself as well just having baseball this year and i I want it to happen for a number of reasons but uh long term is really the bigger issue um whereas we're definitely going to litigate the 48 versus 82 stuff until the end of time here but the long term stuff is uh, it's just brutal for the sport that they don't play
2: yeah couldn't agree more it's it ultimately that's just they need to get this figured out and quickly
1: just there is a clock uh unlike some of the other things that are happening you know there's sports like football that have the benefit of time or college basketball that have the benefit of time. Baseball does not have the benefit of time. They got to hurry. Um, we've been saying that for two weeks now, they really got to hurry now because I think their you know, July 4th thing was, would have been symbolic, I guess in some respects, but, um, if they can get this thing done in in the next week or so, I'll start believing, but if they don't, if it's, if if we look if we're 10 days from now and there's not an agreement, I'm going to, I'm almost going to assume it's over and it won't be over, but it's, uh, it's, tough. It's, it's a tough sell when you can't start until August. It's just not, not great in terms of the, uh, the math and the calendar behind that. All right, Eric, that's enough of that for now. We're going to get to a quick break, and then we'll come back to talk about the, uh, the draft and more. So hold on tight.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team.
2: Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast
1: of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, Eric. Let us, before we get to the draft, talk about a uh, an interesting, is the way that I'll describe it, report. That came out a couple days ago I, I want to spend very little time on this but marcel Ozuna was in the news uh over the weekend uh, his wife was reportedly arrested um i don't want to talk too much about it because i don't have all the details um but she was essentially at least from the reports arrested for in uh, for a domestic a domestic dispute and uh for now he's not implicated in any way so it's not there's not really a baseball impact here but i want to make sure we at least said something about it so there's my something
2: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there was uh, some domestic battery where he was hit in the face with an object. I think it's been reported it was a soap dish. I'm not going to litigate as to kind of what the object was or what actually happened. Uh, It sounds like that he is okay in terms of like you know like no like long term injuries or anything like that. Uh, But I do hope that you know he is okay and that his family ends up being okay and you know whatever needs to happen from a due process standard uh, standpoint, you know that ends up happening. But I think one thing that's important with this particular situation is that with such scant details as to what happened and what precipitated what, you know, happening that, you know, we just simply say that, you know, we kind of report, which is what we're doing here is just report what has been reported and kind of not speculate too much one way or the other, because that that things can, things can get really uh, unsavory and frankly kind of disgusting if you do that. So overall, you know, it seems like he's physically okay. And, you know, hopefully law enforcement does what they're supposed to here.
1: Yeah, that's well said. And I just want to make sure we we touched on it. I don't want to spend any more time on that until uh, we need to or until there's more information that we actually have. Because neither one of us are uh, reporting on that directly at this point. So there you go. Um, Transitioning now to the draft. And uh, I will make my second disclaimer of the podcast. I am the furthest thing from an MLB draft expert. And I've always said that. I don't like to fake it. And I won't fake it. Um, But Eric is someone who knows things, so we are going to talk about this now. The draft is this week. Um, It begins on Wednesday, the first round, 7 o'clock, by the way, on ESPN this time because of the uh, coronavirus, I I assume, because it was not on ESPN for a long, long time. Um, And then rounds 2 through 5 in the shortened version of the draft are on Thursday, beginning at 5 o'clock. And before we even dive into this, uh, I want to recommend on this very channel... Eric and Matt Powers talked about the draft on the last Road to Atlanta podcast, so check that out, as well as the previous one from Matt. There's plenty there, and we'll talk about more here, and then I think post-draft we're going to get some more uh, more goodness from from Matt and Eric. But um, for now, Eric, the draft is this week, and it came up on everybody pretty quickly. It's uh, interesting to just kind of remember that in the middle of all the negotiations and the madness, there's a real like landmark calendar event happening three days from now.
2: Yeah, and it's something that we've been – I'm very spoiled as the the minor league editor having like a really, really good staff in terms of everyone that's really researching a lot of these draft guys and putting out a lot of content. If you look on Talking Chop, you don't have to look far for we, – we did – in terms of content because we did position reviews of every single position in the minor leagues just to kind of give you a sense of where the depth is and where it isn't. We also uh, – Matt has been very, very – Productive, I guess is the best way I know how to describe it. Uh, that is some, a machine. So, yeah, frankly. he's a machine, and he's he's a bit obsessive, and I love him to death for it. Uh, and he's done a position by position review, uh, preview for each position in the draft. So if you want to know, like, hey, who are the better, who are the better outfielders available? You know, one through fifteen, Matt's got a list for you. If it's pitchers, he's got he's going to have left-handers for tomorrow, righties for Tuesday. Uh, but all the position players have already been covered. You can, so if you want to find out who the catchers are, uh, even though it's, I would say it's very unlikely the Braves take a catcher considering that they picked the one in the top 10 last year um, in this particular draft, we have all that content there for you. Uh, and there's, we're going to continue that sort of content going into draft day and it's going to be thorough content. Um, but this draft is going to be one we're not. I doubt we're going to see anything quite like this after this year. And that you go from a 40 round draft to just a five round draft all the strategies that we're, we're used to seeing and you know pre- being able to predict are out the window. We can make some assumptions as to what pe- teams sh- will or will not do and should and should not do. But you know there's always going to be a certain amount of gamesmanship, and that's what makes this draft so exciting. I'm also pretty excited that, that the draft's going to be on ESPN, which means there might be some – Better commentary. Uh, big fan of Carlos Colazzo and the Baseball America guys and the Pipeline guys. Some of the guys who are kind of the more hosty types on MLB Network. I am looking forward to possibly seeing some different voices and hope that that actually happens. But overall, you <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I, basically, I hope that the hosts are, are different, but that they keep Carlos and all the guys who actually really like do all of, like, the legwork uh, over the course of the year on the draft. Uh, that would be my ideal scenario. And we'll see what we'll see what happens. I actually have a chance to ask Carlos if that's going to happen or not. Um, so overall, like I'm excited about the draft. It it kind of stinks that we're not going to have as many players to talk about, you know, going forward. And, you know, those big post draft write ups like Matt does of like all 40 players that the Braves pick. But you know, it's it's also I'm really fascinated as to what happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, I. I'm definitely more of an outsider on this, but it's going to be really interesting. And, you know, we had Carlos on the pod a couple weeks ago. I know you guys talked about this too, but just the fallout of just how weird this is going to be is fascinating. There's There's the five round process and then what it could be described, I think I think Carlos said this on the pod, but like almost like the Wild Wild West after that, um, with this cap on how much you can pay guys, but um, you could have some real talent available um, for $20,000 or whatever it is. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I guess from an overall strategy standpoint, I want to ask you this before we dive, dive into some players. What's the overall strategy you think for the Braves, given that they only have four picks, um, in a five-round draft, I only have four picks because of um, the fact that they, you know, they signed two um, big-ticket free agents. Um, is there a strategy component to this? I know there, there often is with at least the Braves have had a couple of instances of this recently where they've they tried, they've tried to go under-slot and then use that money later. There's less flexibility this time around, but is there an overall strategy that you like for this, uh, or or my or, or is that sort of, kind of oversimplifying it because we just don't know as much as we usually know? I
2: think that the biggest problem is what you just hinted at is that there's just so much we don't know and the information is so bad this year in particular, Uh, not just about like what team's preferences are going to be because we've never seen a draft like this, but also on the players themselves and what teams think about those players uh, versus how other teams view them. So, you know, overall value might be a weird thing to sort of be able to predict from a strategic standpoint. Um, My initial thought when they announced this draft, the draft format of five rounds so I'm like, wow, there are going to be a ton of college players, particularly bats picked, because that's you're talking about safe assets. To where if you only have five picks, you want to make sure that you get something decent with those five picks. There's no, you know, drafting a bunch of seniors through round six through ten to save a bunch of money to go over a slot on guys or to, you know, pick some interesting guys on day three. There's none of that, right? Like, so you can't. It's harder. It's a bit harder to. Manipulate your bonus pool and leverage it in certain ways and combine that with the fact that you don't want to give your t- – you might not necessarily want to give, your, uh, let's say, a pick at the bottom of the first round to a high school kid who has a Vanderbilt commitment because that kid has all the leverage and you can't afford not to sign this kid, right? So yeah. my, my initial thinking was – I mean even if you get on a, a draft pick in the next draft, that's not, that's not what you want to be doing. You don't want to just be like picking guys that don't sign. You want to pick guys who are going to be in your organization. So my initial thought was this is going to be a lot of college players, and I still think that's going to happen. I still think we're going to see a lot of college players picked, which also means that I think a lot of high school kids that we would normally see picked, maybe not in the first round, but you know, early day two or in that weird first few rounds of day three where they end up being paid a way over slot to forego going to college. You know that Those kinds of guys are going to end up going to junior college or just to college to go in a different draft class so they don't have to – they can get back to normal bonus pools and get paid the way that they want to. Um, I know that Carlos has made the argument that it could be kind of the Wild West and there could be some guys who just become undrafted free agents and sign for twenty grand because they don't necessarily need the money and they can go where they want. I'm a little skeptical that that actually happens uh, or at least that a substantial number of real talent signs for that amount of money. Um what we're hearing more now – and I, we've heard it from Keith Law and a couple other places – is that the Braves seem to be a team that is like looking at these are these high school options and wondering if they will be able to pick up on some – like since we agree generally that college is the safer picks, that maybe that is a demographic that they could capitalize on strategically and say, hey, maybe there were some guys that would normally go in the first round or would normally go in the second round where we do not have a pick. And maybe when we're sitting there in the third round, is there going to be a guy we really, really like that is a high school player. And if we can make a move to go get that player and we're starting to see more high school names associated with the Braves. So I would not be surprised if maybe with the first round pick, either they go with a high school guy that they, you know, then there's, there's names we can banner about. We can talk about that later, but there are names in the first round that are high school players that if they're available and the Braves pick them, are probably good in terms of pure talent and best player on the, on the board that makes tons of sense. Or we could see them pick. There's a couple names that I like for underslot slot type options with the first round pick. And maybe they could make some runs at some players that are like later in the draft that necessarily aren't necessarily super safe uh, to go in the first round, but might be really good value picks later on.
1: Let's start there, because um, I feel like this, you know, people hear the underslot. Maybe you're talking and I know when I hear that, I'm thinking maybe not, you know, the guy you might take in the first round wouldn't be as quiet as good, as enticing, as a potential guy that you're paying full slot money, but there's obviously a lot of talent there. You mentioned you have a, a guy or two that could be under slot targets. Um, first, for people that may not know, because this is, this, is this, uh, this is the this uh, is not the Road to Atlanta podcast, what does that even mean in terms of like how you would know that, like what you'd be looking for, and then give me um, a guy or two that you think would make sense if the Braves went down that road where they wanted to save some money on their first pick and spread the money out.
2: Sure. So the Braves are given a certain – every team is given a certain amount of their bonus pool. This is the total amount of money that they can spend on draft picks. There, there's like – if you go over a certain amount, there's certain penalties. If you go further beyond that, there's more severe penalties. The more severe penalties almost never happen. Almost every team, though, pays a little bit extra over just to make sure they get the guys that they want. and It's basically just a fine if they go a little bit over this draft bonus pool. But the reason why the slots – are, I mentioned here is that the, they come to that bonus pool number based on where they're picking in the draft and each draft spots slot value. So for the 25th pick, there's X, you know, it's, it's worth X amount. So X amount from the, that, that first round pick plus X amount from the third, fourth and fifth round picks. You add those number together. That's the total bonus pool. That bonus pool number does not change. The idea of an underslot pick is if, with that first pick, let's just say hypothetically, you have a thrill that that slot is $3 million, and you find a player that you can pick there and they will sign for $2 million. That is a million dollars that you can put elsewhere with those, in this particular case, in the third, fourth, or fifth round picks, you know, and you could spread it around however you'd need to in those picks. Um, now in terms of players that I like for that spot, one name that has already been mentioned, but in multiple places is Bryce Jarvis, who's the right-handed pitcher out of Duke. Uh, Bryce was having had had some helium going into the draft before all, you know, everything was shut down. Uh, we're talking about a guy, you know, low nineties fastball has some feel for his changeup and you know, the, the breaking ball is okay, but it, it seems to all kind of play up well and he was getting some good results. He's a guy that I think is more of a second-rounder uh, in terms of maybe overall talent, but it's not that far off, and you'll find places that actually have him ranked higher than that, uh, especially if you really kind of give a lot of love to that – more love to his fastball than maybe I would. But he is a guy that seems like – as a guy that you could feasibly get cheaper if you pick him in that like bottom towards of the first-round spot. And if that were the case, then maybe you could use that money to go after some high school guys, high school guys that you normally wouldn't be able to later on in the draft. Another guy, this is pure conjecture. I have no earthly idea if this player would actually take an underslot deal uh, is Casey Martin, who's a toolsy shortstop from Arkansas. Uh, Of the shortstop class in this, I'm not a big fan of this class overall in terms of that particular demographic. There's some good out college outfielders and some other positions position players that, that I like in this draft. But in terms of like depth, like college shortstops is just not very good, but Casey Martin is the guy that has a questionable hit tool, but he's really toolsy has big upside. And because he's risky in you know, a lot of swing and miss in this game, he has generally ranked lower, like in the forties uh, in terms of overall versus there's some other guys who I would consider safer and guys I'm much less interested in, frankly, that, Maybe he's a guy that you, if you believe in the talent and you believe that you can turn his hit tool around and maybe cut down on the strikeouts a bit, that you maybe can sign him to an underslot deal, which means you get a high upside college bat, which is a very real thing, and then maybe you can make again those same sorts of moves that I was talking about earlier.
1: Yeah, that 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 all makes sense to me, and you know, just wanted to have that explained in a way that people can understand if they didn't already. Um, this is an unfair question to you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who who is the absolute you know, Eric Cole wakes up the next morning after round one, best case scenario. I, it, may, it may not even be that, that plausible. I'm I'm telling don't don't tell me that, that uh what's his name? Special trolls is the answer, because that's that's not a thing. But give me someone who you think is like not impossible that could follow that, that could follow the Braves and that you would be over the moon about. Like who is your absolute best case scenario, even if it's maybe unlikely?
2: Okay, so Let's just get a few things out of the way.
1: There are probably, I would
2: say, 12 names uh, from Spencer Torkelson at the top all the way to like Patrick Bailey, who's the catcher out of North Carolina State. The, we can have some reasonable disagreements about who's in that top 12. But they're going to be gone. But but those are, <laughs> those are very likely to be gone. Got it. The, the ideal scenario for me personally is that there are some guys that I – there are some prep arms that I like and there are some college arms that I like, but you what I would prefer is that a really high-ceiling bat that is from high school that falls because that is a demographic that's really sketchy and maybe there's a scenario where the bonus demands are just too high for a team to bet in this particular draft. on They, they may want to try to spread that money around a little bit. So the guy that I – if I'm waking up on – if I'm waking up Thursday, on the next 40. day, yeah, on the next on the next day after day one, and Robert Hassel, who's the out uh, of independent high school in Tennessee, he's a center field prospect. If he's on the team, good things are coming because there's you know he's the type of guy who has real power, real tools, big upside. Probably sticks in center field, uh, bats from the left side. So you know that the Vanderbilt commitment's a problem uh, because the you know they those Vanderbilt's really good at keeping their guys. So you got to pay him real money, and so if if you get that guy and he falls to you, there's no chance of an underslot thing right. happening. Well, like you can't, you're not going to save money picking that guy. Um, I know that I will say though that both Jared Kelly, the right-hander out of uh, Refugio High School in Texas, as well as Nick Bitsko, uh, is another is another high school pitcher. Both of those guys, uh, Aaron, Matt, and Garrett are all really like those guys, and when there's that much agreement on you know pitching arms amongst that staff and amongst the guys that I just mentioned that gets my attention. So if we're talking about guys that I think like it's possible they could fall and yeah. I would be over the moon if they were there, that's where kind of my head, that where my head would be. Uh Garrett Crochet who's a lefty out of Tennessee would also be really good as well.
1: Now, again, I want to I want to reiterate, do not hold Eric to that. Um if they're if those guys are not available, it's not his fault. I want to, I want him to be as uh as aggressive as humanly possible when answering that
2: question. Rain your hate down upon me. It's whatever. That's what's going to happen on the draft anyway.
1: That's that's true. That's uh, the dr- drafts in any sport are are primed for this kind of activity. Um, okay. More realistically now, you mentioned a few guys before. Um, you know what? L- let's go negative real fast. Who who are some guys that you often see mocked to the mocked to the Braves or mocked in that range that you would not love if the Braves took? I don't want to be negative, but I feel like there has to be at least a guy or two that you're trying to avoid in your in your head. Sure.
2: Um, I, I tend to, with the draft, especially with the first round pick, I want upside. I want real tools. I don't want a guy who's going to be a borderline fourth outfielder or like the, the number seven or number eight hitter on your team with the best case scenario. He's just a guy that knows how to play baseball and is a gamer. I want a chance to be able to actually hit for some power or have some speed or have real defensive upside. Those are the things I want from picks, especially in the first round, right? So I think that there are some guys that I'm just not a big fan of Overall, that's more of an upside problem, or that they have flaws that I'm really concerned about that are picked in that range. Um, Jordan Westberg, Westberg, and Nick Lofton, which are two sh- shortstop prospects uh, out of Mississippi State and Baylor specifically. I think those are like really limited upside, upside infield bats. They have track record as some with some performances as guys that like you know they know how to hit, but they don't really have a lot in terms of tools and a lot in terms of upside. You know, it's kind of like guys who just know how to play their position and are just decent baseball players. Those aren't the guys that the, the, the Braves really should, I feel like, should be spending a first-round pick on. Um, Carmen uh, Lodzinski, I think is how you pronounce his last name. He's a right-handed pitcher out of South Carolina. Is has been mocked to the Braves uh, in some mocks. And, you know, again, he's a guy that has a, a fastball uh, with a couple, like he has a curveball, as well as kind of a cutter. I mean, it, it looks kind of like a slider sometimes, but I think it's more of a cutter. Uh, he's a guy that I, I'm not sure if he has the repertoire to stay as a starter long-term. I have questions about whether or not, that he'll have the command necessary to be a particularly good reliever either. He missed most of the last of 2019 with a broken foot. So I didn't really have a good look at him for 2020 to kind of make a determination on him. I'm just not that interested in him. It's like, if you really believe in that fastball, I am still not sure you'd pick a, give him in, pick him in the first round. I'm not sure you should. Um, Daniel Cabrera is another bat. He's the LSU corner, corner outfield, uh, corner outfielder. Matt seems to like him more than I do. Uh, I, th- I, I'm of the opinion he's a guy who can hit pretty well but he doesn't have enough power to profile in a corner and he definitely can't play in center. So he's not a guy that I'm a big fan of. And then there's the two pitchers out of Miami, uh, which as considering that's the college that I actually, you know, root for in college sports, it's kind of funny that I'm saying, I don't want either of these guys, but Slade uh, Ciccone and uh, Chris McMahon, both are right hand, right handers out of Miami. I think that Ciccone has a good fastball, but I'm not sure if he has, he's going to have much else. And I don't think that the McMahon is a more of a well-rounded arsenal and, You know, he can. It seems like he can change speeds pretty well, but I'm not sure if the overall stuff is good enough for that spot. So those those are feel like are safe picks. They're like, you know, when in doubt, these are guys that have some track record that have performed reasonably well in good in good conferences, but they aren't necessarily the guys that I'd be going for.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like you know, I I do a ton of NBA draft coverage. There's always a guy or two that it's not. It's not that you don't like those guys. It's just that they're not your guys. And I, uh, I I totally. It's been. By the way, I said this to Carlos, but it's so weird to me. Um, Not that I, again, I'm the the guy that's diving into all this stuff in a huge way. But the Braves, the entire time this podcast has existed, I've had a high pick in the first round, and they don't have them this year. It's just weird to me, Eric. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good weird because they they were actually good last year. That's why, but. Yeah.
2: It's taking, it's taking a while to get used to I mean, to be fair. You know, they also like one of their high picks, they didn't sign. So, well, you know, yeah, that's, <laughs> one, that's why they had one last, year. That's yeah, one, yeah, one had last so year. So they kind of extended that window a little bit longer, but it's not like they were like reaping the benefits of top 10 picks uh, necessarily every year. So, um, and it's weird for us too, but you know, it's a different challenge. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know, especially in this draft where there's information so bad, I'm not gonna pretend to know exactly who's going to be there. Um, but you know, Again, there's guys I hope that'll be there because, you know, again, we talked about I talked about, you know, Robert Hassel. I really like Pete Crow Armstrong too. He's a prep outfielder. Uh I I feel like he's again, that's a Vanderbilt commitment that like you're starting to get into whether or not you're going to be able to afford him. I'm not sure what his contract demands are, but I think he has all the the tools to be a really good baseball player and he's just been good everywhere as a prep as a prep hitter. So, it's another name that like all of us have kind of hoped that hey, if he's there tw- if he's there when the Braves are picking, you know, he's a guy that we'd like to
1: this might be a question that is better to ask on your uh, if you're doing immediate react or something like that. But um, do you have a guy that you like that won't be a first round pick that you that you want the Braves to land somewhere along the way? Or are you not that deep? I, I know Matt probably has ten guys like this, but
2: well, um, th- this is no joke. Matt has a top two hundred and thirteen list for this. Of course draft. he does. Um, yes. So uh, uh, one guy that I like, I'm. It's hard. The Braves do not have a second round pick, which complicates. Yep this plan right wait, wait so, a long
1: time for this that's why it's why it's hard to ask
2: yeah so
1: the question becomes
2: if you're doing an under slot play for a guy is how much more money do you have to give that player to tell to basically make the demands that they're asking of another team like in the second round to where that the, those an entire round of teams or round and a half really to pass on that player because that's that's a hard that's a hard ask but if you can get the, you know, if you can go underslot enough in that first round pick, maybe, maybe you can do it. Um, Jordan Walker is a third base prospect from Georgia. Uh, is a is a prep third baseman from Georgia. He's a Duke commitment. Decatur. Yep. He uh, the the kid can just flat out play. Uh, you know, seems like he could really kind of grow into being a really pow- big power bat. Um, and you know, if hitting doesn't work out, he could end up being a pitcher too. So he's kind of like an all around athlete type. Uh, I don't. I find that possibility extraordinarily unlikely, uh, just because I, I feel like he's not quite a first rounder, but he's also probably like in that first half of the second round, and that's been really hard to float yeah. a guy like that that far down. Uh, another name that I I'm, I'm still kind of getting to know than all the names, but a name that has been relatively uh, fascinating to me is Johandi Morales, who's a uh, a prep bat out of uh, Florida, and he's a Miami commitment. He's already he's 18, he's already 6'4. And the frame is one of those ones that everyone's like, my God, he's going to be a like a physical giant. You know, like kind of like not quite as tall as Aaron Judge, but just a big giant monster of a human being. Um and that would be a really interesting pick to make, see if they can get him out of a college commitment. Because if he develops like the way some folks think that he will then you're talking about a guy who might go in like the top 10 overall when he's draft eligible after his time in college. So, and those are the the bets that I'd be trying to make be like, Hey, maybe I can get this guy in our system before he physically matures and figures things out. Um, I don't see a lot of the, 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 like a lot of the catcher prospects and maybe even some of these prep arms down that low as quite as exciting. I think that if the Braves are going to be doing this underslot play, it's probably going to be for like high, high school prep bats. Um, with the under under the assumption that maybe that first round pick is a pitcher because one thing that is absolutely true is that at the lower levels of the minor leagues, uh, especially with, after some of these releases that when that happened, is that there's not very much pitching depth in the lower minors. There's plenty in the you know double A, triple A area where there's lots of pitching prospects, but when you're getting down into high A, low A, and you know even further down than that, the pitching prospect. was getting pretty uh pretty bare down there so it's something they might consider drafting something maybe drafting a couple arms in this draft maybe two two arms and three bats or something like that in some order
1: i i kind of want to make you um do the eric cole mock draft pick right now and tell me who the braves are taking um here on Sunday night, but I, I, I'm, debating whether, I, I'm, I'm debating, I'm debating, I'm debating, i I should even make you do it. I,
2: I, I think that there's been enough noise about the Braves, both picking a high school player and the noise around this particular player is that I will say Bryce Jarvis out of Duke, just because given all the smoke that we have heard, that pick makes the most sense. However, when we're talking about picking this low in the first round, it's worth mentioning that, like, so many things. <laughs> yeah, it, it, like, yeah. It, it, like if, you're, if they are not adapting to what is happening around them, then they're doing it wrong, right? So, oh, yeah. but But if they, if they feel like they've got a good role, a handle on who they like and the, the draft breaks down the way they think it is and, you know, Bryce Jarvis is sitting there and they feel like they can sign him considerably under slot, which lets them do something later on in this draft to get more talent overall – um, since they only have four picks, I think I had mentioned like three bats and two arms and that won't work, uh, because there's only four picks. So like two and two or something like that. Like, math is hard, Eric. It is. Yeah, math, math, math is hard. It's late at night. But again, that, that would be kind of like a safe-ish pick. Um, ag- but again, there's just so many things that can happen ahead of them. If like one of those, if one of those big high school names ends up falling to them, then they should be, you know, be willing to pull the trigger on that. Uh, it seems like they are one of the teams that is not being scared off by the high school thing in this draft. Whereas I'm sure some other teams are like, I'm just gonna, we're going to be as safe as possible and just pick the guys that we know have track record against competition. You know, that go through all of our analytics and these guys show up with these numbers. Grab grab those college guys. Uh, it seems like the Braves might be willing to be a little bit riskier uh, and make that make those decisions. But I'm pretty sure it's going to have to be like a pretty big, you know, a guy who's like ranked somewhere in the teens on their board and falls to them down to 25.
1: Yeah, I think it's a theme, and you know, not that I'm reading everything that's out there, but I, I've read a lot trying to make, at least make sure that I know something about what's going on. And even the guys who do this all the time, I think are building in and are being honest about the fact that there's so much more uncertainty this time around between the combination of the weird draft format and the fact that there was not a whole lot of baseball played um, this season and which w- would have been a lot of evaluation uh, time that is now lost. There's so much uncertainty. And also, you know, you're not having the same amount of like face-to-face contact. There's not, it's been, the networking has not quite been the same as well. So I feel like as an overall rule, I'm expecting it to just be chaos is maybe not, I mean, it's, it's kind of a strong word, but it feels like that's kind of where I'm thinking between talking to people offline and online about the draft in general is that there's there's just not a lot of certainty that anybody has right now, which is interesting.
2: Yeah, I would say again, we had those twelve names that I mentioned. After you get to from like the teams up until the Braves pick, I imagine all of those teams don't know who's going to be around when they're picking. They yeah. just don't know. I mean, like again, like a Robert Hassel is probably one of the better high school prep bats in the in the whole class. Whether or not he's going to be available is. Com- is he could be picked right after those 12 it's very possible or he could go later than that cole wilcox is a guy who was a first round pick once but he was in the bottom of the first round and i've seen him mocked anywhere from the middle of the first round to not in the first round at all so it's just no one again the information is so bad right now and you know with not as much media being able to actually be in contact with these guys combined with the changes in how scouting is being done right now with a lot of video work and things like that the usual information that we that is garnered those avenues aren't as open and ultimately you know i am curious as to kind of which lists end up reflecting the most i imagine that you know the folks who have been doing this you know the the fan graphs the baseball americas you know those folks are going to get relatively close to in terms of rankings as to where these things are going to happen but it there's so much uncertainty and i think a lot of these a lot of these teams are still figuring things out they're gonna be figuring things up up until like a few minutes before they draft
1: yep Chaos is the order of the day, and it should be fun to monitor. I am also interested to see how this does on TV, frankly, because ESPN will draw extra eyes and more attention, and the fact that there's no games happening opposite it, which means people will just be more uh, cognizant of the draft. I know, you know, the, maybe there's a trade-off with Braves fans because the pick is lower this time and they have less picks, and so maybe that'll take away a little bit of the interest. But then you turn off the fact that there's no game to go against it, and maybe people will be di- people will be dialed in, and I hope they are uh, reading our site and all that stuff. Um, any final thoughts here on the draft? Uh, and if there's not any final thoughts, please plug everything we got because I know you said it before, but uh, it's worth noting that we have a ton of draft coverage that is already up and then uh, will be up in the coming days.
2: Yeah, um, we're really excited about the draft just because we want to see kind of how things go down. I will say that if you have strong feelings about the players that the Braves pick in this draft, uh, it, I would find it unlikely that you've actually seen these players play. Um, because, this is why this
1: is why I don't do this, Eric. I, I, I refuse yeah, to embarrass uh, myself uh, uh, by giving I, me, giving rule opinions. I, 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 I'm not going to watch.
2: I will. I have done a lot of work in terms of reading and watching what I can, but there's so much. There's a severe lack of good information out there, considering that everything shut down. That I, I am willing to both trust the professionals on this one and give them the benefit of the doubt if these picks don't work out because they're they're operating under impossible conditions. So I will say that I think everyone should like, you know, you might have your guys that you would think would be awesome as Braves, but I think that it's also a good idea to kind of temper any certain amount of outrage from this particular draft because of what we're operating under. Uh, We do have a lot of draft content on the site already. If you want uh, position previews of the draft class, or if you want to go look through the, the minor league, system in terms of overviews of each position as to where they would need some, maybe need some more shoring up versus others. We have a lot of that content already on the site uh, going on this week. We're going to have some, Aaron has an article coming up, with a breakdown of the last two Alex Anthopoulos drafts as to kind of the overall strategy and players that they he he has grabbed and how they've been doing. Uh, we're also going to have an article that goes up talking about the players specifically from the state of Georgia, where the Braves have historically drafted fairly significant numbers, numbers of players. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Matt has the class previews for the left-hander and right-handed pitchers uh, coming up over the next couple of days. Uh, And then going into draft day, it's going to be all hands on deck. We're going to be talking about basically anything that's been rumored to be to the Braves. We're going to have all sorts of pick trackers. You're going to have all of us online. uh, And it's going to be go time because it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going to be, I I still think it's going to be a lot of information to cover because, again, we're kind of in uncharted territories to how this draft's going to go. And so it should be really interesting.
1: For sure. Uh, dial in with us all week long. I know it's Sunday now, but Wednesday is coming in a, in a, in a quick way. And then, uh, I I don't envy you, Eric, because then you have to kind of reset all the decks after Wednesday night and be like, oh yeah, there's still four more rounds to go. Um, and three picks for the Braves. So, uh. Good luck with that. I'll try to help you as much as I can, but it'll be very, very limited, I'd imagine, in what I can provide uh, for
2: you. Uh, but. Hey, I'm, I'm actually not in a condo in Florida this, this draft. So, <laughs> that's, so that's uh, right.
1: So, uh, that, oh, yeah. I, and I got the
2: worst food poisoning after. Two. It was, it was a, it was a nightmare trip for me because the first three days I was, I was on draft duty, and then I finally, like, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go out, and I'm gonna make sure I'm spending time with the family the rest of the way. And I got unbelievably sick uh, after that, so it was, it was not a good time. But uh, it, it should be, it should be a little bit more. You know low key this go around and it should be a lot of fun.
1: Yep, spend it with us. Uh, also, please subscribe to this podcast network of sorts because if you subscribe to this podcast, you also get Road to Atlanta, which uh, there were two pods last week uh, and uh, more to come this week, I am sure. On the draft, yep. uh, I don't know if I'll weigh in directly a ton on the draft, so rely on Road to Atlanta on the same again on the same channel. So, subscribe, tell a friend, tell two friends, tell three friends. So the draft is uh, perhaps. And I hope this isn't true with all due respect to you, Eric. I hope hope this is not true, but the draft might be the biggest thing that happens in baseball for the next several months. So,
2: I I mean, traffic wise, that's just been, that's just been a fact for the last, you know, five or six years. Uh, And if you have any draft questions, make sure you direct them to the at BT Roland. Brad Brad will. Yeah, I am.
1: I am certainly an expert and I will tell you uh, as I have repeatedly on this podcast that I know lots about the, about the MLB draft. just means you're going to tag me,
2: isn't it? Is that just what's going to happen?
1: Uh yes, I will tag you and uh, as a general rule I, I like to make fun of people that get really mad about what the Braves do in the in the baseball draft because I as you referenced before and worth saying again, you probably don't know anything. Um and I don't know anything, so that you will you will not hear me, I promise you on the next Talking Chop podcast come on and criticize the Braves for what they did in the draft. Um I might echo something that you tell me Eric or that Matt tells me about how something that you that you didn't love. But uh, my own opinion will not be uh, interspersed because I, I don't know anything. So there you go. Yeah, I,
2: I will say Matt, Matt's outrage about last year's draft, it seems unlikely given the, the kind of where the Dresden Dres- Dres are picking <laughs> uh, that, uh, that that will happen again, uh, especially since it was a little bit overboard last time. But, you know, I overall, you know, this particular draft, I'm really sympathetic just to how the how information is being processed and kind of the situation that all teams find themselves in so weird things are going to happen and everyone's gonna be like wait why is that guy being picked or wait why is that guy still there uh i expect the weirdness and i've chosen to embrace it
1: that's the way to do it all right subscribe tell a friend leave a review and we'll see everybody later.